tonight is the ninth year, not ninth year, the ninth time we have awarded the Publisher's Citation and the Roger Klein Award. It is a, that dread word, biennial award. And so therefore, it's 18 years that we've been doing this. And we have come of age. Uh, we can vote and we can uh, celebrate this award. The first award, the Publisher's Award, is given for, I think I'd like to read just what it is given for. It is given for every two years to a publisher whose career has demonstrated continuous and distinctive service to in international letters, to the freedom and dignity of writers, and to the free transmission of the printed word across barriers of poverty, ignorance, and censorship. I'm beginning to feel a little bit like that senator from Arkansas, who was he, who seconded Michael Dukakis at the convention. Don't quit. Don't quit or do, oh, Bill, okay. Uh, when I was a teenager, 13 or 12 or 13, my brother had a copy of Ulysses and in that book published by Random House was a foreword by a man named Morris Ernst. Morris Ernst somehow became, in my mind, inseparable from James Joyce's name. And he became as legendary and as important to me and representative of something absolutely wonderful. Uh, then in my young manhood, there was a lawyer who came along who somehow immediately inherited that mantle by being the lawyer who argued the Lady Chatterley's lover case and the Tropic of Cancer case. And we are very privileged indeed to have him here tonight. I'd like to introduce you to Charles Rimbar. Chatterley case. 
something had happened that made it impossible for the lawyer who had been preparing the case to try it. And this put me in the wonderful position of not having enough time to prepare so that I could never feel guilty. Uh, I, I had uh, what seemed at the time a, a bright idea, but a very dangerous one. And, but Barney went for it immediately uh, and took the chance. It was a post office proceeding, but if that proceeding had been lost, a criminal proceeding might well follow. And uh, there's a saying around the criminal courts, the lawyer always goes home. Uh, so whatever credit uh, may be due to those who worked for the outcome that was achieved in that case. Most of it belongs to Barney. Uh, the loyal thing in, in that list of virtues is uh, particularly important when you speak about Barney. Uh, as a friend, he is as loyal as Sam Beckett is to Barney. And uh, we, all, we all have our faults. Barney has a few. But in the end, the principal thing is his very, very great redeeming social value. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Uh, the next speaker, for those of you who happen maybe to be here uh, for the Roger Klein Award and haven't read your, your mailing piece, uh, you mustn't be confused and think that I'm introducing the recipient of the award, uh, though he might, could well be the recipient of this award. Uh, so distinguished is he as both a publisher and an editor, and he may yet be the recipient of this award. I hope so. Uh, I'd like to introduce Richard Seaver. Thank you very much. I uh, actually wrote a long speech, which I've never done in my life before because I think Barney Rossett deserves it. On the other hand, having read it, uh, I don't think you have the 45 minutes that it would take to go through what I want to say about Barney. So I put it on cards here, but I can't find them either. What I want to say very simply is that uh, uh, I think, having been at several of these awards, all of which were deserved, I think the thoughtfulness that goes into pens choice of the Publishers Award has been commendable. Barney Rossett deserves this, in my view, my very prejudiced view, uh, probably more than anybody that I can think of uh, at this time or place. Uh, I, I say that for a number of reasons. One, I worked with a man for 12 years. I could say that I fought with a man for 12 years. 
But in the course of all those fights and arguments, I never for one moment lost any respect for him because there was a basic integrity there and a basic decency and a basic generosity. He was something like a cross between a bulldog and Napoleon on most issues. Um, he would not be dissuaded when he thought the course was right. He would charge into battle when he knew he was going to raise a hornet's nest of controversy. He published books that he believed in, uh, starting, as Sai has said, with Lady Chatterley. And that debilitated Grove Press from the point of view of draining its resources. You must remember that Grove, despite its publishing image in the late 50s and 60s, was a very small house with not an enormous amount of money. And in defending those court cases, such as Lady Chatterley, uh, it was not just winning a single battle. You won one in Cleveland, and you lost one in Ohio elsewhere, and then in Pennsylvania and so forth. And as I will attest, it was a state-by-state uh, state taking over the nation. But having won that, and probably lost not only the profits on Lady Chatterley, which was the best subject, the bestseller, uh, one then went on to, I think the next year was Tropic of Cancer. And then the following year, when that drained more of the resources, Barney said, it's time we publish Naked Lunch. <laughs> um, and that too became a bestseller. But for every dollar we took in on the sale of the book, I used to think that we spent 90% on defending the cause. Barney showed me later that it was closer to $1.10. Uh, but the point is that he persisted. Because after that, there was City of Night by John Ritchie. Uh, there was Jean Genet. Uh, Our Lady of the Flowers and A Thief's Journal. Um, meanwhile, these were just the headline books. There was a whole publishing program that was going on at a sort of, I would not say subterranean level, but it was a level not on the first page of the New York Times or Publishers Weekly or the uh, legal journals of the time. They were the Beckett works and the Kerouac and the revivals of the Henry James that were out of print. Uh, the Pinters and the Stoppards, uh, the Uwe Johnsons, and Lord knows what else, but quality, quality, quality. And those so-called non-controversial books start with Beckett, the one we revered and still, I think, revere. Most of all those uh, authors whom we published in that uh, 50s and heady 60s that we lived through, and that whole beat generation that the Evergreen Review uh, not only sponsored, but uh, espoused and championed through those years. So in honoring Barney, we are, are honoring someone who, um, coming down in the cab tonight, Jeanette said, you know what Barney is? He's a maverick. And like all mavericks, he has, he has not had the recognition due him because as a maverick, somehow you're not in tune with the times or you're not, the times are out of tune with you. And I think that's been true of Barney to some degree. I think that he deserves a, uh, a special award. And I think that he is in the ranks when the, when the history of 20th century publishing, American publishing, uh, finally is written, that he will have a very large place. He formed a whole generation. Uh, when I talk to some of the younger authors with whom I deal, and we talk about the Grove Press days, 
In college, they read the Evergreen Review. In college, they read all of the Growth Press, Evergreen books. Uh, they formed their thinking. And I think it's true to say that if we can read in this country virtually anything that we want to read today, uh, it's due in large part to Barney's tenacity, persistence, cantankerousness, loyalty, devotion, and his ability to put his money where his mouth was. And as opposed to those like myself who spend other people's money and in so doing, Barney was spending his own money. There's a difference there that we should always recognize. Uh, I think for all of us in publishing, or in any walk of life, there is a special time and place that is unequaled. And the 12 years that I spent at Grove, and I've had very many happy and fruitful and productive years thereafter, my 12 years at Grove were the most important years of my publishing life. And I think probably I can see a number of Groveniks around this room, Maury Goldfisher in the back, Nat Sobel next to him. I think uh, without speaking for him, they would probably say the same thing. These were uh, demanding times. These were stressful times. These were exciting times. I will also say about Barney that if I ever came into Barney and said, listen, Barney, there's this very wonderful book we really should publish. We probably ought to do a P&L on this book. He'd look at me strangely and say, why? Is it a good book? And if the answer was yes, he said, you believe in it? The answer was yes. Let's publish it. We'll make it work thereafter. And I think that's probably something that I have never found since, and I suspect maybe doesn't exist in publishing anymore to that degree. The conviction that if it's good, ultimately, it will make its way. Uh, all of that is only a portion of what I would want to say, except on a very personal note. Uh, I think my fondest moment with Barney was not professional, but we were playing tennis over at the Midtown Tennis Club, and Barney was waxing nostalgic about this or that, and he said, you know, I never had a brother, but if I'd had one, I really would have liked him to be you. Well, I would like to return that thought tonight. I never had a brother either, Barney, and if I had, I would have liked him to be you. I'd now like to read the citation for Barney. <clears throat> the pen publisher citation is given this year to Barney Rossett, who for 35 years as head of Grove Press published some of the most distinguished and cha challenging writers in Europe, America, and the Third World. In doing so, he exploded a few conventional ideas about what literature is, where it comes from, how it's put together, what it looks like on the page. He had an uncanny ear for the sound of contemporary writing, its immediacy, its irreverence, its pugnacity, its lyricism. By publishing Beckett, Genet, Ionesco, Rob Grier, Durat, Gambrovich, he introduced us to the European avant-garde. By publishing Burroughs, Ritchie, Malcolm X, he offered us startling underground images 
of American life. By publishing the unexpurgated Lady Chatterley's Lover and the long banned Tropic of Cancer, he risked imprisonment to challenge our anti-obscenity laws. By going to court again and again and winning in case after case, he gave us back a reader's civil rights. Samuel Beckett once told Rossett, all writers should give you something. Yet it is more than writers who are in his debt. Publishers who serve literature are not uncommon. Publishers who change the culture are. Barney Rossett is such a publisher. For this, we honor him. citation of Mary Gordon, Vivian Gornick, and myself. Uh, and Mary is here, and Vivian is not. But we're all thrilled that Barney is here. Speaking of my uh, great courage, at the, uh, on the 1968 political convention, was held in Chicago, uh, where I was born and raised, and you know, I always think of myself as a Chicago gangster. Uh, we were going to have the, they were going to have the convention there, and I made great plans to go there. And so had Richard and uh, Jeanette Seaver. And, uh, one night, I set out from East Hampton driving, uh, and I got to Southampton, and I stopped and called my wife, Christina. I said, you know, it's dangerous there. <laughs> Should I go? She said, yeah, well, of course, go. So I turned around and went home. <laughs> but Dick and Jeanette went. <laughs> That's... Uh, <laughs> shows you where the courage was there then, and believe me, they had it. Uh, and, and tonight, you know, there are many alumni of uh, Roe here, and it's a suitable place for that. In fact, I might even start fundraising, but I won't. <laughs> but, but there's one thing that's very important. Cy Renbar and uh, Dick Seaver were both extremely important amongst the alumni, uh, they rank at the very top, top, along with myself and sense. And, then, and there's one other I just want to be sure you know about, and that's Fred Jordan, who's also here tonight. Fred was equals to equals. And be sure that we all know that. And a number of years ago, Beckett said to me, we were talking about Estragon and Vladimir, and uh, I thought that uh, Steve McQueen, whom I'd never heard of, 
was a very big fat guy <clears throat> and he'd offered a half a million dollars to play at Godot and I, I, I didn't know who he was. So being a good liar, I said to Beckett, well, he's a big heavy guy. I thought he was James Garner. <laughs> and I described a few others in the same way and Beckett said, no, 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 my characters are shadows or ghosts. Well, if I could be a shadow or a ghost of the way that I was described tonight, I'd be very happy indeed. Thank you. the man who's responsible for our being in this very nice room. Um, Pam Pierce said to me before we came, uh, this is a party that you're coming to. And I said, oh, I've been to them before, Pam. Uh, don't, don't tell me that. You don't use the word party. Well, it really is, and it's very nice indeed. And we have to thank the Yale Club and that member of, or that alumnus of Yale, Tom Wallace. May I introduce you? Uh, I merely wanted to say uh, good evening on behalf of the Roger Klein Foundation. Uh, as you know, this is a two-part event, the Publishers Citation, and then the Penn Roger Klein Award. Uh, Penn Roger Klein Award has been in existence now for 18 years, or actually we joined Penn a number of years ago, but the award has been in existence for 18 years. And it is something that I and others, I think, in publishing have taken a great deal of pride in. It is the only award that I'm aware of uh, that is given to a publishing editor. And I think for all the authors in the room from Penn who have editors, I think they will know what I'm talking about when I say I think that it is editors that make publishing go round. Uh, obviously, we're living in an age when the marketing voice in publishing, if not overshadowing the editorial voice, but certainly appears to eclipse it far too often. And I think that over the years, the character of the winners of this award have given it a great deal of distinction. And I think in a small way, the Roger Klein Award is also sort of giving back to the community by calling attention to editors. And a lot of good ones, a wonderful one, won it this year. And I would merely like to introduce Anne Freegood, who's actually going to tell you about the 1988 winner of the Penn Roger Klein Award. So I turn the things over to Anne. It's a very great pleasure to me to introduce Eileen Smith in due course. I've known her for only a few months, but I've certainly known of her for much longer than that. It was when she won the, the uh, Tony Godwin Award some years ago 
which was given for a young editor who showed exceptional promise. But I first was impressed by the way agents and authors and other editors were talking about Irene and her unusual talents. She is, by the way, the only winner of the Roger Klein Award, who was also a winner of the Tony Godwin Award. So she won it as a young editor, and now she has won it as a full-fledged editor. Since I've got to know Eileen, I've understood what everybody was talking about. It's not that she's a good line editor, it's that she is absolutely dedicated to getting every author she works with to do the best possible book that he or she can do. And she is tireless in working at this. And this ability of hers was very much reflected in the letters that her authors wrote seconding her nomination for this award. I remember one of them said, when I think of my next book, I think with the greatest pleasure of the fact that I'll be working with Eileen again. Now, we had a hard time this year because we had a lot of good candidates and it was a period when all the judges were talking back and forth. And finally, one of them said, let's put it this way. If you had written a book, which one of the nominees would you want to have edited? And everybody said immediately, Eileen Smith. So Eileen, where are you? ago I exchanged my musical aspirations for literary ones and though I've never regretted that decision this occasion is the most wonderful affirmation of it. I'm deeply honored and grateful to Penn, the Roger Klein Foundation and its judges and above all to my authors who have formed me as an editor. I must also thank Georges Borchard for having the imagination to put me forward for this award Jim Silberman for his unfailing support of my books, Ben Sonnenberg for his constant inspiration, <clears throat> and finally my husband Howard Zobel, who is among other things my most trusted advisor. Thank you very much. Please go on drinking. Thank you. Thank you.